welcome to the Grow My Salon Business podcast, where we focus on the business side of hairdressing. I'm your host, Anthony Whitaker, and I'll be talking to thought leaders in the hairdressing industry, discussing insightful, provocative, and inspiring ideas that matter. So get ready to learn, get ready to be challenged, get ready to be inspired, and most importantly, get ready to grow your salon business. I consciously go out of my way to interview a diverse range of people for the podcast. But the thing I know they all have in common is that they're building successful, profitable businesses, regardless of where in the world they are. My goal is to interview a range of people at all stages of their career in various areas of the salon industry to bring to you a mixture of inspiration, entertainment, and practical ideas and advice to help you grow your salon business. Today's guest is Maria Unali, a young salon owner from Sydney, Australia, who opened Salon Kin four years ago. In today's podcast, we will discuss the challenges of juggling multiple roles in life from being a wife and a mother, uh, also being a stylist and a business owner with all the demands that come with it. We'll also talk about how to attract, nurture, and build a salon team and setting guides around salon social media. And that's just to start with. So, Without further ado, let's jump straight in and talk to our guest today. Welcome to the show, Maria Anali from Salon Kin in Sydney. Thank you, Anthony. It's really good to be here. Well, it's really <laughs> great to have you here, Maria. Now, I, I know a little bit about your background over the last you know, few years, uh, but um, I'd like you to start off by let's take a couple of minutes and just uh, tell our audience who you are, what your background is, how long you've been in the industry, and uh, you know, just a sort of two-minute backstory of who is Maria Unali? Sure. So I'm a, um, a wife, uh, a mum, first and foremost, um, a wife, a salon owner, team leader. Um, I had Salon Kin. It was born four years ago. Um, but before that, I had a salon called S81 for about seven years, just after I got married. And But before that, my dad um, had the salon about for about 30 years. So um, I'm second generation hairdresser and salon owner. Um, I um, absolutely love my team and it's um, been a pleasure and, and challenging <laughs> to run it. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a journey. I, I went to uni first and decided that that wasn't for me. And when I um, spoke to my dad about doing hairdressing and I was just helping on weekends, I said to him, you know, Papa, I want to do this properly. Like I want to maybe enter competitions and, you know, do some fashion week and all that sort of stuff. And um, he was like, okay. And I remember seeing, uh, you probably remember Anthony Nader's work in a, a magazine in the AHJ at the time. And um, I was like, I want to do that. And, um, you know, I did do it a little bit. I did some photo shoot work and fashion week and all that sort of stuff. And now I'm sort of, I feel like I'm planting um, my feet in the ground at the salon in Penrith, and we're okay. about fifty-five kilometres out from Sydney City. Okay, so you're not banging the, you know, the centre of, you know, a big metropolis. You're out more in the yeah, sort of suburban no. area. But you know, I, I first yes. became aware of your salon um, through pictures that I saw of it, and I think it was not long after you opened, yes. and I thought, wow, what a beautiful salon. And uh, it is a stunning space. It is a it is a great space. So, so it, the business that you had before was that your dad's salon that you were working in? No, it was actually the before that I had it um, for about seven years. But before that, my dad um, had a space in the same shopping centre. So we moved from a shopping centre to High Street um, in Penrith. Great, um, okay. massive differences, and a big part of that decision was obviously opening up the market to something bigger and um natural light nothing beats natural light in a hairdressing salon i think yeah of course okay so uh, how many staff have you now got you've been open four years yeah so when we started i had um it was probably about five of us five or six of us um yeah. i remember going in our first retreat and we had like there was eight people and um now we just come back from our last retreat in in a couple of weeks ago and there was 15 of us well wow, fantastic so, um, yeah i know a lot of um hairdressers who you know they feel that to open up in more suburban areas or not in the middle of the capital city they feel that they're at a disadvantage but in a lot of cases it's actually quite the opposite isn't it because uh you know, I know that you've got this beautiful salon and, and no, it's not right in the middle of Sydney, but, you know, 
Talk about some of the advantages that you think there are of of not opening up in the middle of the city and being out in a you know in a, a slightly more suburban area. Not that that's a negative at all, because I don't yeah. believe it is. So, no. some of the advantages no. of why you decided to do that. Um, I think there's actually more pros than cons, and it's just talking to other salon owners that are in the middle of the city. Um, I have lower overheads. Yeah. Um, my my staff. I actually um, I don't have a problem with staff in terms of. Um, like obtaining stuff, I, I get at least, you know, two resumes a week just to, and it's just a mix from apprentices or assistants to, um, to fully qualified. Yeah. And I think it's got a lot to do with, um, you know, whether it's a bad or good thing, but it's just a low socioeconomic area. So um, their parents are more than happy to um, say yes to leaving year 10 and, um, you know, or, you know, leaving year 10 and then in jumping into a trade. Mm-hmm. Um, or going into college, you know, a, a, a um, beauty college, or um, as opposed to, you know, um, going to year 12 and then going to uni and maybe becoming a lawyer or a doctor. You know? Yeah. So um, it's a very different, it's, it's just a, a very different market in terms of, um, you know, upbringing and background. Yeah. So um, you, you said before that you started off going to university. What was it you were studying? Well, it was sort of, I just did a Bachelor of Arts because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I feel like at the time I was just almost, you know, going against what my mother wanted me to do, which is become a hairdresser. Um, I got the marks to go to uni and I was like, you know what, I'm going to go. So I just did a Bachelor of Arts, like a little bit of philosophy and economics. And um, and then I wanted to do marketing. And I was like, another five years, I don't want to do marketing. (laughs) Another five years of uni, I feel like I was doing my HSC all over again um, every semester. And then I just went, you know what, no, I'm going to start working for my dad. And and that's, yeah. And then the manager left and then my dad's like, okay, here you go. So you took over? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There was a manager in and I was just like, you know, my dad's like, oh, no, you can just, you can just do it. It's fine. Like it was almost like, you know, cutting a solid line. (laughs) Um, And I was just like, I'm not sure if I'm right for this, but I really enjoyed, like, I think I I didn't get numbers straight away. It was a very long time before I understood numbers and how to read a P&L. And um, it was a really bad time for me at one point in SA1. So my last salon, um, I was almost bankrupt. Like I was in the red a lot and, but I was having a lot of fun. I was doing lots of fashion weeks and assisting for free and um, on a lot of photo shoots and um, I would cancel full um, books because the way the editorial world works I spit in Sydney and probably all over the world is that it's just, it's quite, um, uh, it's quite volatile. Like you can't, you know, you, you don't get two weeks notice. You just, it's either 5pm 5, 5 the day before and you're like, can you assist on this shoot? And there'd be big names in there and I'm, I'll put my hand up and I'm like, yeah, I'll do it. And I'll travel two hours to do it too. Um, so I, you know, would cancel full books, a full, full, full column of, of clients to, to get there. And um, there was massive repercussions and yeah. I had to work probably seven days for a whole year to get that back. Okay. Well, we'll yeah. talk more about that later because I think that there's some, some yeah. great lessons, you know, in there. Uh, yeah. so, so, you know, just so that people get a good broad understanding of what your business is like. You've had it for four years. There's now 15-odd staff. Um, yes. Being in Australia, they'd be apprentices as opposed to people going through beauty school. Um, uh, yeah. so, so how many apprentices would you have on at any one time out of the 15? Um, so at the moment, yeah, so at the moment we've got um, – five and um i'm looking to put another another one on at the moment social trial in a couple of days right okay and are they um again being australia they'd be paid like an award wage and then some sort of commission system on top of that yeah yeah the ones who are doing more clients than others are definitely on commission but the other ones that don't know they're they're not on commission Right. Okay. And, and, and what do you specialize in? Are you known for anything in particular? I mean, I've, you know, been on your website and I've been looking at your collections and stuff. And, you know, it's another great example of, of what we were touching on before that, you know, a lot of times people feel that to be noticed that they have to be in the middle of a capital city and, and you're not in the middle of a capital city. And uh, yet you do beautiful work. You've done a lot of editorial, a lot of magazine work. You've won lots of awards, etc. You know, so there are lots of upsides to being in more suburban areas, the least of which is, uh, well, one of the important ones, is the overheads lower. And I did touch on this again recently with someone else on the podcast. And, you know, we were talking about how, um, you know, sometimes when you're in the middle of a capital city, you tend to have more transient staff 
and you tend to have more transient clients. You know, whereas when you're somewhere more like you are, the staffing situation is often a lot more stable. There's a lot more loyalty there, and likewise with the clients as well. And and another thing that you know. Uh, and I know we touched on this before we got on the air, is that there's always the option, the possibility to one day, you know, to buy your own real estate. Whereas if you're in the middle, you know, of downtown yeah. Sydney or downtown London, LA, whatever, you know, you're never going to own the real estate. So, you know, there's lots of pluses out there. It's not all negative to be um, in a more suburban no, situation. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, All right. Um, one of the things I noticed on your website when I was having a look at it before was your sustainable uh, salon philosophy. And uh, I know I didn't get a chance to sort of preempt you that I was going to talk about that, but, you know, it, it's an, a, a really important thing about business today. How can you be more sustainable? So yes. uh, I know in the US they have a very big program over there called the Green Circle. Um, which is a sustainable thing that a lot of salons are involved in. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, but is your sustainability program, just tell us a little bit about that. So um, it's, it's run by sustainable salons and um, we hope to, uh, I suppose, recycle at least, you know, I mean, 100% is beautiful, but I think it's about 95% of salon waste we recycle from hair to um, our foil, paper, plastic, glass. Um, and what interesting, uh, there's something interesting about it is that we, when we recycle the hair, it um, gets made into hair booms and it soaks up the oil in um, ports like in Newcastle in, in um, northern New South Wales Central Coast. Um, so it's, it's, it's well and good to, you know, to be in a business and all that, but I'm really mindful of my waste. And just because of especially lots of climate talk, you know, um, climate change talk happening at the moment. It's, um, we need to do something. And if it's something as small as just putting, you know, the right thing in the right bin, um, yeah. that's, that, that's what we can do as a salon. Yeah. So it's all product waste as well as packaging, all of that, the sustainable everything. salons come pick it yeah. up. And, and how, yeah, do you, how, do you, how do you pay for that? Do you, do you, is the, do you put a surcharge well, we onto services or what? Yeah, we do. Um, I know a lot of salons, they work it into their costs, but we actually started um, when we jumped on board with sustainable salons. Um, we spoke to Paul, the owner, um, and Evelina, and they just said it's just better to put it as a surcharge. So it's a $2 green fee that yeah. we charge all our clients. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, it doesn't uh, what, discriminate. It just goes on everything. Right. And what, um, uh, so all your clients, not just colour clients? Everyone. Everyone. Yeah. Okay. So, and everyone. Yeah. so you just get a haircut, you pay a $2 or whatever yeah. it is uh, fee yeah. for sustainable. Uh, okay. Do, and, and how do clients react to that? Would they rather it was just um, built in or? No. Well, um, I don't know. We didn't really have, uh, I thought just coming from, um, you know, outside of the city, Western Sydney, I was just like had this conditioning that I was just like, oh, it's too expensive. People are going to say something. Um, but I think once you tell them the story about it, they're like, oh yeah, cool. No worries. Because, a lot of that money that even that goes to recycling the foil um, will um, fund a charity um, that feeds the homeless. Right. So okay. it's when you tell that story, people are like, yeah, it's two dollars, it's fine, and it is like it's not. Yeah. And that and that money obviously pays for everything else, like the service of um, you know getting our bins picked up fortnightly, and um, and you know the recycling center and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Okay, good, good. Okay. So one of the things I wanted to, to talk about with you is your people and your team. Um, I sort of touched on this in the intro. I was saying how, you know, that I like to talk to a diverse range of people. And, um, you know, I've had some people on the podcast that have had like, you know, phenomenal figures, for example. And, uh, and I know that there's a lot of people out there that listen to this that they go, oh my God, that is so unrelatable. I can't do that. And I'm a mom and I'm a, I'm a wife and I've got a team and I'm doing staff training and I'm doing recruitment and all that sort of stuff. And so, you know, I know that there'll be a lot of people in our audience that are basically you, you know, whether they are in the US or the UK or whatever, they're young, you know, 34, you told me you were 34. I hope you don't mind me saying that. <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> uh, she, by the way, she doesn't look 34. She looks 24. Uh, but that's another story. So um, how do you... Um, you know, I want you to talk about people. I want you to talk about your team and how you build that culture because I know that you've got a very good team culture and your people are really important to you. So, you know, t talk about, you know, 
How has that happened? How do you create a team culture? Um, that's such a big question, isn't it? And um, it's funny because when I hear a question like that, I'm like, there's no formula. It doesn't happen overnight. Like I've been building this for a long time. And um, one of the things that I always go back to is what um, I heard. It was either Simon Sinek or um, something like that. I've read a couple of his books and I'm also heavily into Brene Brown and her research. And um, they said something like to build a high-performing team, you need psychological safety. And psychological safety is built by having trust, almost like a circle of trust. And, um, you know, this has been happening over a long time. It's obviously changing and it's a lot of self-awareness from my end, you know, so checking in with myself as opposed to pointing the finger. And we work, I've shared this a lot with my team and it's just an acronym for the seven elements of trust and it's called breathing. So B for boundaries, so knowing what's okay and what's not okay. Yeah. R for reliability, so it's, you know, doing what you say you're going to do at the time you're going to do it. A for accountability, owning your impact. B, uh, v for vault, so not sharing a story that's not yours to share. I for integrity, um, self-explanatory, um, and N for non-judgment. So you can tell me anything and I won't judge you for it. And G for generosity, so being generous with the assumption that everyone is doing their best. Wow. And when I explain this to my team, I say, you know, this is what I want to build here. This is not about being high performance financially. This is about being high performance you want to be efficient. You want to be, you know, um, working really well together. Um, you know, no one wants a manic Saturday. Everyone wants to be super smooth and, you know, just going through, um, you know, the day with, uh, you know, we can't make it perfect, but as least amount of hiccups as possible. Yeah. Um, and when I share this with my team, we have, we have the same issues as any other salon. But what I was saying to my manager the other day is that we, um, the gap between something happening and then something being rectified is... I think a little bit shorter than maybe other salons because I try to knock it on the head quite quickly. Um, and we do things like, you know, I, I have these listening sessions. I used to call them one-on-ones where I would take the team out uh, one by one um, on a Friday, first Friday of the month. And I would um, spend half an hour just in a coffee shop, chat to them. It's not anything new, but what I found was if I did it consistently once a month that they would be more inclined to share things with me that they wouldn't normally share as if I was taking them out once a year yes. you know, because it's trust is consistency as well. Um, we do a retreat once a year, so I take all the team out. We just came back from Byron Bay um, a couple of weeks ago and that was super fun and it was not hairdressing at all. It was just fun, surf lessons, um, a little, um, lots of dinners and drinks and all that. That was really good. Um, and then, you know, there's... I just check in with them. You know, I, 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 um, I heard this really beautiful thing the other day and it was about counting hearts, not counting heads mm-hmm. and um, knowing that they're real people and saying, how's your mom or, um, you know, how's your boyfriend or how, you know, and checking in with them. I, it's, it's, I think sometimes like you're like, really, do you have to? It's just like, yeah, like people want to be cared about. They want to be appreciated. And I think my team, because there's no you know, I speak about not being able to fill the void with money. Like you have to fill them somehow. And I think people want to talk about themselves. <laughs> I love me. <laughs> um, but I think it's, um, you know, also important to know who they are and what they want. And I know that my team, yeah, money helps, but I've done lots of feedback forms for myself um, anonymously with the team. And a lot of, they, a lot of them say that they want, um, um, they want time off. They want holidays. They want recognition and acknowledgement um they want to be a part of something bigger i'm not sure if i've digressed too much but um, no not at all i think it's um, great yeah i think building a culture doesn't happen overnight and it's something that just it needs consistency and Mm. um it changes all the time i don't think people understand that like it's not something that's sort of inbuilt and like it stays like that for such a long time it's it shifts and it moves when people leave and people come in and yeah um but you are like you are the culture. I mean, you've said it a lot. If you don't determine the culture, the culture gets set for you. Mm, yeah, exactly, exactly. So th- that thing you opened up on, where you said, uh, 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 I think you said it was called braving. Is that right? B r a v i n g. Braving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just like yeah, it's a trust acronym seven elements. Okay. So is that something from uh, Brené Brown? Did you say? Yeah, it is. Yeah, right. I I read her book Dare to Lead, and it changed yeah. my life. Wow. Yeah. 
Okay. Oh, that sounds yeah. really interesting. I hadn't heard that before. So, so that yeah. sort of acronym, that is sort of, um, I mean, it's interesting. I often find that in salons, if you, if you can have one thing, which is like, okay, this is our point of reference, you know, yes. Braving's a really good example. And this is what each of yes. these letters stand for. Um, and I thought there was some really good attributes as you were going through describing what each of those letters stood for in terms of building a culture and giving people yes. a point of reference as to this is who we are and this is what we're all about. And this is a, this is a good acronym to check your behaviors, your attitude to check in against, to see if yes. are you measuring up with, um, uh, you know, what, what our culture is all about and what we've defined yes. it as. And I love that idea of you, you know, I mean, I use that term one-on-ones. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, words are important and, Yes. There's no reason why you can't change words, you know, and you said we, you call them listening sessions. Well, what yeah. a great idea. For me to listen. <laughs> yeah. yeah, why yeah. not? Uh, I mean, that's, yeah. that's a great idea. Yeah. It just sort of repositions things, um, you know, in people's minds that, hey, this is time for you to talk and for me to listen and take it on board. And, yeah, that's fantastic. And so your retreat, you said you do that once a year where you take everyone away. You pay for everyone to go away, do you? And you pay for the yep. accommodation, Everything. the food and the yep. entertainment. And yeah, yeah. They could, yeah, anyone, I mean, a lot, a lot, a couple of them pull out their wallets sometimes, but, um, you know, whether it's to get food or to go shopping or whatever, but you could essentially go there and not have to pay for anything and be um, fed and looked after. And, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's such a fun thing. And it's funny because I was just like, you know what, I think this is, you know, the last year we're going to do it. Well, I think we might just take a break next year. And the spike in morale when we come back, um, has me addicted to definitely do it again the following year. Yeah, of course. Year. Yeah, no, I think yeah. it, those sort of things are really important. And, yeah. uh, you know, the other thing it does, I think, is it, you know, I often say to people that, that, you know, we employ these young people in our industry and, you know, you've got a, you've got a great salon. You, you described it as being a slightly lower socioeconomic area. Um, yeah but you've got a great salon. I'm imagining it's an expensive salon in the area that it's in. It's probably the, you know, the premium yeah. salon. Yeah. And yeah. so you employ these young people and this, this is all over the world that this happens. And, you know, we employ them, they're 16, 17, 18, whatever they are. And we expect them to be able to treat our clients with the standards that we have, you know, about service, etc. And the thing is, is yes. that, you know, um, you've traveled, you've, you've, you know, stayed in nice hotels, you've been to nice restaurants, you've been, you know, called ma'am or whatever, you know, you, you've yes. experienced five-star service. So it becomes sort of innately easy for you to deliver people five-star five -star service, you know, your clients. Uh, yes. But then the problem is we employ these young people as trainees, as apprentices, assistants, whatever, and they've never experienced it. So they've never, a lot of them, the only restaurant they've been to is McDonald's. They've never, they've never been on an airplane, let alone be business class. They've never been out of the country. They've never stayed in a five-star hotel. So I always think that when you take people away and you take them to somewhere like you said, Byron Bay, you know, a lot mm -hmm. of our audience would have heard of Byron Bay. Mm -hmm. Byron Bay is a beautiful spot. And, yes. uh, you know, in Australia, it's a great tourist spot. It's a beautiful part of the world to go to. And so what I'm, what I'm saying is that as much as rewarding them and having fun, you're actually sort of training them at the same time because they're getting to experience, you know, staying somewhere nice, eating in nice places, you know, yes. and, and it's an education in itself of what you're trying to do. So um, I, I think that's really commendable. So, yeah, I think, I think every salon should do that. Um, so I've got off track there a little bit. Um, uh, so so <laughs> uh, other than, than that, so, you know, things like listening sessions and taking people yeah. on retreat and stuff, those things are motivational in themselves. But what, what are some of the things that you do to motivate your staff? What are some practical everyday things that you might do to motivate people? Um, we do lots of education. So we do, I block out three hours every fortnight and, um, we do training and education. I, uh, obviously half of it's hairdressing. So we do, um, I, this year I'm focusing on using my own team to train my younger team, my emerging. And, but in the past we have just brought people from the industry into my space because the one thing that I said about Kin that because we're so far out of the city that I wanted to build a space that we could also educate in and have the space to be able to bring someone in as opposed to, it's just a big day when we have to go into the city for big trainings. Yeah. So to bring someone out and, and house them and, and host them um, is, is one of the things I wanted to do. So whoever they think is um, going to be 
um, inspiring to them, I'll, or I'll take it on board and then I'll bring them out. But we also obviously utilize insulin training. And the other part of training that I do is building them as humans as opposed to, um, well, you know, I can always teach them technical and they go to, can go to a course. But mm. um, I this year we're um, blocking out some time to do, like in March we've got a financial, a, a financial advisor coming to the salon mm-hmm. and he's going to talk about, you know, building them financially and making sure that they've got their, all their buckets set up and they're saving and all that. Um, we're having a strategy day in, uh, in a couple of weeks. So we'll be sort of prepped for that just to get them on board for 2020. Um, we're, I'm going to bring a nutritionist in, a physio is coming to show them some exercises about, you know, being on their feet all day. Um, I'm also going to engage with one of my friends who actually came on retreat with us to do a session with my guys. His name's Jack Morden and he has, um, a program called Project U and he focuses on, um, self-awareness and empathy, vulnerability. Um, so building yourself so you can, you're, you're able to give to, the client um mm-hmm. and the session that we did on retreat was incredible and he just asked the right questions to be able to then get the right answers for then you to um i suppose be aware of um who you are and what you're doing and your impact yeah um and all the guys love that so like you know that sort of training is really important to me because i want to be able to make sure that if they do leave that they're better humans than you know um when they started whether it's um through financial literacy or nutritionally we're knowing to eat better and um I, I feel like i've got a duty of care to look after them as as people not just hairdressers that's great um, yeah and yeah. and how does that um impact on say for example staff retention you know what's your retention i mean i know you've only been open for four years but you know what sort of staff retention yeah. do you have it's great. It's um, well, I've I've had um, one of my guys has been there for over ten years, then nine years, seven years, um, six years. They're all most of them are well, not most of them. A couple of them are pre pre kin, and right. then um, you know jumping on board, um, I hire slowly. So it's really important that obviously that person aligns with the values and the brand, um, and not just getting another person on board. Yeah, that's really important to me. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah, I mean we've grown like you know from five to fifteen in four years, and that's um, I suppose that's been pretty good. I've, um, I I suppose I just I, I I listen to them. I what what do they want? I know that's really vague, but um, you know there's some things I can't give them what they want. I, I hate saying no, and all the guys know it. So when they ask for a Saturday off, I'm like, don't ask me because <laughs> I'm probably going to say yes. Um, so it's um, you know I I try and. Um, make it as comfortable as possible for them to work because they do work so hard. Yeah, yeah, okay. What, what do you, I mean, you're a uh, millennial, I'm imagining. Well, you I are am a millennial. Just. <laughs> um, uh, the, the generation underneath you, which is where a lot of your team are going to be, uh, you yes. know, so Gen Z, uh, what, what do they want today? You know, I, I always find it difficult to sort of pigeonhole any generation to say this is what this generation wants and this is how you got to treat them. Right. I, I, I always rather talk about it as in saying this is what people want today, you know, rather than yes. pigeonholing a particular generation. But that's just me. So I suppose what I'm asking you is, you know, what do you find young people want today, young 20-something employees? What, what are the things you know, that they need? What are the things that they expect from a job today? I think they want to be big. They they want to be part of something bigger than just you know um, than just them. I know there was lots of freelancing, you know, um, going on beforehand. I think that's going to sort of phase out, and everyone wants to be part of a team again. Um, they want flexibility. That's one of the things that I think that is non-negotiable. They want to be able to take holidays when they want and how they want. Um, they they you know maybe want to start later if they've got an appointment in the morning or um if they need to pick up their kids from daycare they want to be able to know that you'll understand and um to to let them go a little bit earlier um things like that like i know one of my guys um it was just late nights that were really killing her and i know that's across the board people don't want to work late nights but um because we went from trading a salon for seven days to five days i said Mm -hmm. we have to do two late nights She's adjusted her book because it was it was just something that she really believed in, and she'd been with me for such a long time that I was just like, "Look, let's just make this work." And we trialed it, and it was okay. And um, you know, I always had this fear of one person doing something and then everyone else going, "Well, she's doing it." 
uh, why can't I do it? And um, and I think I've digressed a little bit, but um, you know, I, I'm always mindful of making things comfortable for them. So um, you know, they love working. Yeah, you know, not so, because so, they're staying, yeah. Yeah, but they love working. It's it's whenever I ask people that question, and I often ask people, the one word that comes up every single time is flexibility. Yeah. Um, that people want flexibility. And I remember when I had my salons, I weren't particularly flexible. Um, yeah. But if I still had salons today, I recognize that you have to be a lot more flexible uh, with your approach to people if you want to keep them, if you want to attract them, if you want to motivate them. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, that's not without challenges in terms of running a business. You know, yeah. w- w- one thing you touched on a minute ago, you said no one wants to work like nights. See, I was quite the opposite. I, I would much rather oh, wow. have, have started work every day at, at one o'clock and, uh, okay. and work till nine at night. I would much rather of that. Yeah, and then have had been able to sleep yeah. in, get up, go to the gym, yes. you know, whatever it is, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, so, yeah. so I think there are people that want, you know, either end of the spectrum. Um, it's about employing yes, for, for, yeah. for what you want. Um, yes. One of the things that you touched on, and I said I would come back to it, and that was, where you said that you nearly went bust at one point. You said you were a young hairdresser and you were doing mm. lots of editorial work, you were doing lots of, you know, shows and, and, and you know, session work, et cetera. And, um, you know, you reached a point where you had to pull back from that. And I think you said you had to then work seven days a week for a year to sort of turn the ship, so to speak. Um, talk to us a little bit about that time of salon ownership and, you um, you know, just just tell us about that process. What was the journey that you went through during that time? Um, because I'd seen my dad um, run the salon quite effortlessly um, for such a long time, I, he just looked easy to me. So I was just mm. like, you know what, I can do this, it's fine. And I had a couple of guys working um, for the, in the salon and I was like, okay, cool. And I, I, just, I just thought it was as easy as money coming in, money going out. I didn't know how to read a P&L. And so, um, as much fun as I was having, um, I was constantly going into my overdraft, which is the red. And I thought it was my rent. I was, cause every time rent came around, it was so high because we're in a shopping center that I was like, Oh, it's the rent. I was blaming the rent. Hmm. And I had a, um, coach that was non-industry. Well, it wasn't a coach, but he was an accountant that was working for someone, another tenant in the shopping center. And he was like, let me have a look at your P&L. And he's like, it's actually not your, um, rent. It's, you need more bums on seats. Like you need to do more. And, um, then I realized if I don't stop, um, it's going to get really, um, it's, it's going to get really bad where, and I hadn't have any kids at the time. And so I, I did have the flip, like I did have, you know, the will to be able to go, you know what, I can't do this anymore and work seven days. And, um, you know, I remember my mum coming to me and saying, you know, do you want some money? And I was just like, that's so embarrassing. Cause I'd been, um, married and you know I was say three or four years into marriage and I was just like I can't take money from my mom like and so the only option for me was to just head down bum up and just Mm. work um and I couldn't blame anyone else but myself for what happened I mean I'd walked away with some really good contacts in the industry and I'd done some you know fashion weeks and um had got so much experience then be able to maybe do my own photo shoots and um, and all that. And I wouldn't, there's no way I'd take it back. Like no regrets. I, it, w- it wasn't something I'd go, oh, I wish I didn't do that. Like everything worked out the way it was supposed to work out. Yeah. I, I so, mean, I think that there's a lot of people, that side of the industry is very seductive, you know, working on shows, mm, you know, yeah. working, doing magazine shoots, you know, being backstage at fashion week. It's very seductive, but very, very few people were making any money out of it. Most of them are doing it for nothing. Yes. And in fact, most of them are spending money to be there. And it, it, it yeah. can be a smart thing to do if you end up being someone at the top of the pile who is then getting paid a lot of money and have a lot of you know, yes. unpaid assistance with you. But I think that for a lot of other hairdressers that um, you know, I encourage people to do it. I do it. You've done it. Everyone's done it. There's a, a time and a place yeah. for it if that's what you want to do. But I think you very much, like what happened to you is what happens to a lot of people where you have to make a decision. You know, you're either going to be in your salon building a business, building a team, running a salon, or you're going to be about out there educating or out there doing shows or out there doing photographs or whatever. And, and you have to make a decision because salons don't run themselves, you know, and you've, you've got to be there and have a hand on the tiller, so to speak, if you, if you want to build it. 
So, um, yeah, interesting time. So, well, glad to hear you turned it all around, et cetera, anyway. Um, yeah, and and you true. now have a very profitable salon. Um, I know we yes. talked a little bit before we got on air today. And uh, do you mind sharing with the audience uh, what, what sort of profit margin you're currently running at? Yeah, no, not at all. So um, uh, it's currently at around 15 to 17%. Um, uh, and we were sort of up at December and then down in January because I was, um, we closed, you know, over December, January. And um, that I, was probably wasn't a great decision. But um, it's, and it's funny when we we're talking, I was surprised at, um, that I, you know, I want to, not that I want to get more, it's not about, you know, being more in, increasing that profit margin. It's always about like, yes, increasing the profit margin, then seeing what I could invest back into my team, back into my business. Sure. You can only take so much at the end of the day, you know, taxes, um, taxes is one of those things you can't escape. So, yeah. um, if there's things that I can, you know, and I talk to my team, I'm quite transparent with my team about it, that if we're um, profitable and we're making money, then that's more money to, bring in um, an educator and spend the day, you know, a lot of them are charging two, $3,000 for the day for a workshop mm. if I host them. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's, I don't translate it into um, what their journey as well, because it's, yeah. it's all of us all in it. Yeah, exactly. Well, if salons aren't profitable, they don't survive. And if they don't survive, then no one has a, has a, um, you know, has a job. So they need to be profitable. Um, what, what are some of, well, you sort of really have just answered that. I was going to ask you, what are some of the hurdles that you've had to overcome? Um, but I suppose that's, that's a big hurdle really, isn't it? It's finding the, you know, the direction that you want to take and being committed and prepared to roll your sleeve up and get on with it. Uh, one of the things that, that I noticed, uh, with your salon and I first saw it in the, the photographs that I saw of it, um, and I've never spoken to you about it a bit, and that's the color table that you have. Um, yeah. I, I do a seminar called uh, Grow Your Color Business to a lot of people, and I often talk about salons that have uh, color tables. And, you know, some people are quite familiar with them as a concept. For other people, it's something uh, totally new. So, you know, as a salon owner who has a color table, uh, do, do you want to describe, you know, what it is and how that works for you as a business? Yeah. So, um, I mean, it, I, I definitely wasn't the first one to, to put it in. It was, um, I, I noticed that if I wanted to maximize the space, um, I had to, um, obviously, you know, increase how many chairs I had in the salon. So we've got seven, seven styling chairs on either side of the salon, and then it goes into a six seater color table and it's just communal. It's just a way of clients to sit down, have their, have their color done. I mean, not many people want to look at themselves with a whole full head of foils in their hair and in the mirror. Um, and they end up get, having a chat around the table as well. And it just means that there's more chairs, I suppose, for styling. Mm. And um, uh, it has a skylight right above it. So it's, um, the, I suppose, the ambience around it is quite serene. Like there's a couple of plants and everything and magazines and people just feel like they're around the dinner table and when they have a coffee and you tend to find that the conversations, um, there's lots of mingling going on, which is really cool to see most of the time. Yeah. So, so it's a, yeah. it's a, definitely increases. They, color do they have yeah. their, it, it does increase it. Right. Okay. And yeah, do, they have, do they have their color done while they're sat at that table or is it just yes. a processing area? No, they have their color done. So the guys will, so the team will bring them through, set them at the color table straight away. If the color table's full, there's no choice but to spread them out to the styling stations. Yeah. They'll sit down, have the consult there. Um, you know, have a chat as if they were, you know, mates and then um, uh, go ahead with the service, keep them up and then, then yeah, just whether, whether they're having a forehead of foils or a tint regrowth, um, I think it's always nice just to be able to, you know, relax and not have to worry about what's happening in the mirror yeah. and um, just, you know, a lot of them, sign, like they hook up to the Wi-Fi and I'll do some work there if they like and headphones on but, um, and a lot of the time my marketing manager will also be around at the table because that's really important for her to be in and amongst the team and the clients to be able to get a sense of what's happening in the salon. So she'll be working, she'll be doing some work on the laptop um, there as well. So it's, it's just a really nice communal space. Everyone can, um, we also have our team meetings around there as well. Like it's quite versatile. Okay, cool. Uh, what's, uh, I will put the website 
address in the show yes. notes yes. because I want people to be able to go to the website so they can check out the visual of yep. the salon because it's a beautiful, yeah, clean salon, but it's Salon yeah. Kin, K-I-I-N, yeah? What, what does Kin That's mean? Right. Where does that come from? Where's the name from? Um, kin from um, Next of Kin, Kindred, Kinship, uh, okay. so the idea okay. of friends and family. But we put double I in there because it was like the sequel, you know. It was, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. number two for me. So Right. Um, so let's talk some more about your team. How do you, you know, it's inevitable that people leave one day. How do, how do you react when people leave? Depending on, like, why they're leaving or how they're leaving, I think is, is um, definitely um, determines my reaction. But a lot of the time I'm supportive and happy for them. Like, I don't mm. want anyone in my business that doesn't want to be there yeah. at the end of the day. So. Um, I know a couple of years ago, the first senior I hired actually, cause I always hire apprentices and assistants, the first senior I hired, um, uh, she, she said it just wasn't hurt for her anymore. And she was feeling like this, she needed to move on. And then she went on to something else. She didn't even do hairdressing. Right. So, um, and I was like, yeah, let me know what I can do. If I can write a reference for you, if I can, you know, find you another job or whatever it is, you know, if I can do something for them to make the exit a little bit you know, smoother, I will. It's, yeah. There's no point. It's like, what's the point then? You're putting your energy into someone that has left as opposed to putting your energy into the team that's already, that's there already, you know. Yeah. So you obviously put a lot of thought into the energy you create. Definitely. And yes. uh, I know what your salon looks like. So all these pieces are coming together in my head that, you know, that you're very nurturing. You're very, I know you've got Italian origins. You're very uh, yes. <laughs> family orientated. You're very, uh, uh, very mothering and nurturing yeah. and look after people. And I think all that's yeah. really good. So uh, um, let's just leave that right where it yeah. is. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting to say about the nurturing thing because like, um, just after having kids, I started obviously reading all these parenting books and I started to notice the correlation between parenting books and leadership books. Oh, without a doubt. And mm. Yeah. So it was really funny. I just finished reading this book called How to Raise Girls. And obviously, like, I mean, we've got one boy in the salon, um, one man, I should say. And he's, um, and um, I, like, I'm, I mean, you, you're hiring, um, you know, girls. And I say girls because they're 15 when they come on board and, and um, I start to notice how um, how much of that information I'm um, adapting, even just to be um, to, to lead them as well, and to make sure they're on the right track. Okay, is that uh, that book? What did you? What was it called? It's how it's how to raise girls, but there's also another one, and it's called how to speak how to speak so kids will listen, and how to listen so kids will speak. Right. Something along those lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. um, yeah, and that's a really good one, I think, for leadership as well, because you're like. Oh, that's it, you know, so it, yeah. it's it really. Um, but they also talk about they how to raise girls. Um, they also talk about the stages of girlhood and and all that, and and what's impactful or what's really good for, um, I suppose that that time in their life. So um, I know this is a lot to think about when you have a team of fifteen, but it's almost like just one of those things that, um, you know, it's another thing to think about when you know you're obviously growing culture and. It's yeah. Building. Yeah. All of these things are connected. It is, you know, you touched yeah. on it before when you said about, I want to build better humans, you know, not just this is how you do a graduated Bob, or this is how you do that. You know, that you, yes. you, you, you have a responsibility, don't you? And um, yes. it's building that relationship and all the trust and stuff that goes with it. It pays dividends without a doubt. Okay. Um, one of the things that we touched on before, I just want to sort of wrap them all together and ask you about it is, you know, you, you did, uh, you know, some competition work, some shows, some editorial work. How important are those things in terms of building your business now, you know, for other people, for young people working for you? And it sort of ties into what I said, what, how do you feel when people leave? You know, um, do you create opportunities within your team, within your salon for them to do that sort of stuff? Uh, are they important to your business model or not? Yeah, I think um, it's funny because when I was going through that, when I was doing the photo shoots and the fashion weeks and editorial, I was almost like angry at my team because they didn't want to do it. I'm like, don't you want to do it? Like get involved. And they're like, no, we just want to like do clients and leave. And, you know, and I was like, oh, that's so sad. Like, because I'm getting, I, was, I felt like I was getting so much out of it. Yeah. Um, but there's a place for, I suppose, every type of stylist in your salon. I'm um, very lucky to um, have had that in you know in the past because it has 
I have been able to make contacts to then for the guys who, for the team members who want to, you know, um, get into that realm, they have that contact and I can, I was, I'm able to introduce them. Um, it's not something I really want to like pursue anymore, but um, if I can help someone else out, I know um, the colour company that we're with, O&M, at the moment, they, uh, there's the opportunity to um, take a couple of the team overseas to New York. So um, yeah. that's really exciting to be part of the Fashion Week. So, um, you know, and I know one of, my, one of my team, her name's Scarlett, and she's super young and super green. She's a country girl and she's just like wants to, um, you know, do all the things, you know, and I'm like, do it, you know, and she knows she has to be accountable for her column as well. I'm quite mindful of not cancelling a full column of clients to then, you know, um, to be able to go, you know, brush a bit of hair on set. But mm. I said to her, if you can reorganise your book that way you do it on your day off, then you do it. And she does. She comes in, she reorganises all her clients that day to another day that she can work. Um, and then she's able to then, you know, take the train to the city because she doesn't drive, takes train to the city, leaves two hours beforehand. And then, um, and then she makes it work for herself. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's important. It is it. You know, I don't I, like. I said last time, like it's no regrets. Like everything has a way of working out and has a way of being is important in your life. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay, let's let's move on. I want to talk to you a little bit about social media. Um, you know, social media has had a huge impact on hairdressing everywhere. Uh, talk, talk about some of the impact it's had on your business. Like what, what's your you know, weapon of choice and, and uh, um, you know, how do you use social media in terms of building the business, et cetera? Yeah. Um, so I like to think of my, um, my marketing manager, Katie, as my weapon. <laughs> she's almost like, um, you know, um, she's the person behind um, all our marketing and um, a lot of people think I'm doing it and I'm not. I can't take the credit for that. She's incredibly good at what she does. And I feel like every seller needs a Katie in there um, on their books. But um, she, I suppose, you know, Instagram's a big thing for us, but um, she makes sure that we are across all platforms. And um, obviously our, our website is updated. I think the biggest thing for us is focusing on retention and not just growing following um, going a following number. I think yeah. we want to make sure that people are coming back and people are liking and commenting or staying engaged and building a community outside of Instagram. Yeah. Um, if it's one thing she told me, like it's, you have to, um, I suppose, grow it and then, um, you know, like building the community and then having them stick around. Like that's, I think, um, as much as there's this analogy of the leaking bucket, you know, there's always going to be new clients coming in new cli- and, and old clients leaving. I think it's really important to to also know there's going to be people that are hanging around and, um, you know, we have to look after them while we're here as well. Are the staff responsible for posting as well or, or is it all done by uh, Katie, your marketing manager? Yeah. She, um, no, they've all got their separate accounts and they're responsible yeah. for their own accounts. Um, I don't hold passwords. I'm quite lenient. I know lots of salon owners are a lot more stricter, um, quite loose with my guidelines. They've got, like, like I said, we've got a set of guidelines and um, it's just a matter of um, following them. I trust them to follow them. Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, I, we sort of focus on the clients or I suppose, um, you know, the community getting to know them as people as opposed to, you know, the incredible hair that they do because yeah. I think a lot of people do great hair, right? Like, you know, if you can connect a stylist with a client and, um, you know, and, and if they're aligned, then they'll stick around for a long time. Mm. You know? So what, what, what sort of protections do you put on the social media uh, guidelines from a business point of view? How do you, like if someone leaves or, or do you not? Because some people do, yeah. some people don't. Yeah, of course. So um, I originally had that... Well, it would be nice if they deleted the whole account, but, yeah. you know, um, I suppose, you know, I don't hold passwords. So, like, it's not something that I can do. Or um, So, in the past, like, we had, you know, someone recently leave and, um, you know, she just changed the name of it, but she's not doing hairdressing anymore. So, like, it's quite irrelevant. Like, she's taken all the posts down and all that sort of stuff. So, right. I like for them to remove all the posts um, just because if they are starting at a new salon, it's it's we only had one person leave and they've started um, at another mm. salon. And I just said to her, do you mind just taking out the, you know, the, the posts from, cause we've got such a, like um, we've got a gray wall that we take photos on and it's, you know, I just said to her, if you take them off, 
I feel like it will just be more um, consistent in your marketing as well. It'd be, you know, create better trust with your clients. Like no one likes to see all these different backgrounds from all these different salons, you know, sure. um, yeah. that doesn't create anything for her. So, you know, and it's also protecting my brand, right? Like yeah, of course. she's not working for me anymore, but we yeah. ha- I haven't had very many run-ins like that. I don't, yeah. I, I can't say that. So, 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 so it's That's not stuttering a little bit. Yeah, so it's not a salon social account. It's their own independent social media account. It's not. Yeah, like- so we'll have we'll have our so yeah so we'll have our social media account which is salonkin like at salonkin. Yeah, and then they'll have their name dot salonkin at the end of it. So right, got um, you. They've got they've got all their personal you know salonkin accounts. They share hair off or whatever yeah. they want to share. Um, you know, obviously it's mostly hair, and then obviously them as people, or if they're doing fashion weeks or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of like we've just got guidelines that when they leave, they remove all the posts um, and then, yeah, and if they want approval or help with captioning or anything like that, Katie's always there to, to give them a hand. Right, okay. Um, what, what other technology, you know, do you find that you use today to run the business? Probably my, which is really nerdy, but like, well, I mean, salon software is a massive thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. So I think having the guys log in to see their targets and where they're actually sitting during that week is crucial because you want them to be on track. You want them to create really good habits for mm-hmm. them to, um, you know, push forward and grow and, and keep their goals. Yeah. For me, like I just jumped onto um, a bookkeeping software not long ago, Zero, and that's been really good for me because I've been able to do all my own bookkeeping. I'm still one of those Zellon owners that does all my own bookkeeping, sends all my own wages and sure. um, and all that. And I really like that because then I can check in with things. I know how much my team are getting paid and all that. But um, I use Dropbox a lot. We um, have spreadsheets for the guys and just to track their, um, you know, like their KPIs every week and so they know what they're doing. But um, also our WhatsApp group is um, always fun because everyone's in on it and sometimes we send memes and it's totally not relevant. But, um, you know, we have fun and I'm able to obviously track them and let them know about future training sessions and all that sort of stuff as well. Sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, what else did I want to ask you about? I, I, I wanted to sort of, you know, before we wrap up, I want to talk a little bit about you know, your personal skills of success. I mean, in the introduction, I said, you know, you're a mom, you're a wife, you're running a business, you're a hairdresser, you've got a lot going on. Um, you've alluded to your marketing manager, Katie, etc. cetera. Uh, you alluded to someone else that you referred to as your manager. Was that Katie or is there someone else? Yeah, there is, well, there is someone else. Um, her name's Sarah. She's mm. just um, come off maternity leave. Her baby's only like five or six months, but she she can't, she she just has to get back in there. She's um, one of those um, rare people that you meet in your life, but she's a natural-born leader. Yeah. And um, she um, has a massive respect for the team and, and vice versa. So it's, um yeah, she's definitely someone that I, I um, hold in high regard for, for my business. Yeah. So you, you consciously have delegated out different areas to free you up a little bit to make you, to make the business less dependent on you. You've got different people with different areas of management responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. So just recently I moved um, an hour and a half South of Sydney. So I'm on the South coast at the moment and I go into the salon Wednesday, Thursday, just to go in, probably annoy too many people. Um, And then on Saturdays I do clients. So um, I'm only in there three times a week. So I just, I need good people obviously on the desk as coordinators. And um, you know, I I found that when I was away on maternity leave, when I had my daughter two years ago, that um, my team actually did better when I was away than when I was there. So, um, which is interesting, <laughs> like, what's that telling me? Yeah. Um, but I also think that they knew what to do and, you know, maybe it was hopefully in the prep and, and all that. But since moving away, I've found that I needed um, just an, like another person for the guys to lean on or um, an, another person to be there to be able to send messages back and forth or, um, you know, guide me in the business as well, you know, where it's going, what the guys want and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. How, how do you get that balance between, you know, mum, you know, wife, salon owner, you know, yeah. stylist behind the chair? What, what, what are some of the things that, uh, that you've done or delegated out yeah. to, make that, to make that work? I don't, I'm not sure if there's any balance. I've quite accepted the fact that I um, live and breathe my salon and my kids all at once. So yeah. 
Um, you know, I have a really supportive husband. I think it's getting, I think it's what we said earlier, it's getting the right people on board to be able to delegate, definitely. Yeah. Um, my husband is super supportive. I think it was only a couple of years ago he was in an accountant's meeting and he was just like, oh, this business is going all right. Like all that networking she's doing is actually um, <laughs> working. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, so um, I think he's he's been really supportive the last couple of years. Um, and um yeah, I, I think it's the people. I think it's about the people. I'm not sure if I have many systems in place. Um, I make sure I have the tough conversations. I feel like that's um, been a big thing for me um, as a salon owner. It's having just tough conversations with people, knowing that you're doing your best, they are doing their best, and it's just the most generous assumption that you can have of someone. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I think my whole life sort of meshes. And because we live by the beach now, I feel like it's balanced out a lot. The end of my week is... A, you know, salon and the start of my week is kids and, and family and um, and living, you know. Yeah. So yeah. Um, that was a big decision for us, but it's definitely paid off and yeah. I really love it. So so how do you, um, you know, from being this, you know, uh, single editorial session hairdresser, you know, doing lots of magazine work, helping out on Fashion Week, all this sort of stuff, to then being busy behind the chair stylist and now being you know mum wife etc how do you um what's the word uh, how do you reinvent yourself creatively um yeah how do you, how do you stay relevant creatively what's as a about adapting adapting to the market like you can't you know i mean i wish i was as you know um i, I w- not i don't wish i was back there but like i do really i did really enjoy that part of my life but it's also accepting and I don't know if this is this is probably like a bit of that <laughs> that noise you made earlier, but it's you almost go through like a bit of a grieving process, you know. Right. Um, yeah. That you go, okay, cool. Like that's not my life anymore. And um, you know, I was I think I was in denial after my, I had my son. I was like five weeks after giving birth, I was on the floor and I was just like working really hard. So like, and I didn't do that with my daughter. So there's been lots of differences and lots of adjusting. And um, you know, n- now even with um, whether it's socials or people I connect with, um, I have a lot more compassion for the mum and the working mum definitely. Um, mums in general are just superheroes. So mm. I just think that if um, I can bring someone on board that does have kids and, and allow her to have flexibility and an identity um, and, you know, um, make that work, then, then I can do that. I don't know. I, 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 in terms of reinventing myself, I, I feel like the same person. It's interesting that you say that. I, you know, but you just feel like you're different versions of yourself. But um, I think even with my kids, I feel like I'm the same. I feel like I'm tougher on my kids than I am on my team. It's interesting that. But, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but um, you know, I think it's adapting to um, the circle around you and what your life represents now. Sure. Sure. Okay. All right. Last thing then, what, uh, what advice would you give to someone in your position? Not where you are now, but we were sort of four years ago, opening up a new salon, you know, babies trying to build a team. Like what is the, what is the advice that you'd give people? I think you've been giving them that advice all the way through, but I'm just wondering if there's a little sentence that you'd use to sum it up. Um, I think that it's all about time. It's mm-hmm. a moment in time. I think we get so caught up in what's going to happen in the future. But if you can, I think, think about what it will be like if you're having a challenge and you're, if you think about what's going to happen in two weeks or two months or five years, I'd say this to my team a lot because sometimes they'll run into challenges with clients, but if you're thinking about the future too much, I think that it could lose, um, you know, you could lose focus on the present. And I don't think that's healthy for anyone. I think it just breeds a lot of anxiety if you're constantly going, oh, what's going to happen in this time, you know? Um, and I, I, I think brand is really important as well, just to bring it back to business. I think brand is really important. I think it's speaking your truth, being authentic. I know that's really a bit hoo-ha sometimes, but like just, knowing that if you do something, it's, it's speaking from you and it's being authentic. And, um, you know, that's, what's been really, I think, important to me through, I, I just want to know that anything I do, anything I stand for, anything, um, I speak about is what I would do or what I believe. Um, it's from building a team, it's to having kids, it's to, um, you know, leading, 
um, socials, anything like that. It's because if you don't, if you pretend to be someone else, then and it does fall flat or it doesn't go well, then you know I think it's then it's then it's you're worse off. <laughs> At least if you would you get yourself yeah. and then it falls flat, you're like, well, I was myself. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. All right. Okay. Well, um, we need to wrap up now. Um, Maria, whereabouts can people hook up with you on uh, social media? So it's, uh, what, what is your, your Instagram handle? So my personal one is at Maria underscore Unali. At Maria underscore Unali, U-N-A-L-I for Instagram. Facebook as well? Yep. Yeah, just my name on Facebook, yeah. Right, and um, uh, you said that's your personal one. The salon one? Yes, yeah, salon one is just at Salon Kin, so S-A-L-O-N-K-I-I-N for November. And that's the same website, salonkin.com, yeah? That's it. Yep. Okay, fantastic. Well, if you have uh, enjoyed listening to this podcast with Maria Rinali, um and you've enjoyed it, then please do me a favor and take a screenshot on your phone and share it with your Instagram stories and tag us in it. So uh, to wrap up, Maria, thank you very much for being on the Grow My Salon Business podcast. You've been a, um, a, a breath of fresh air and a wealth of information. And it's been really nice having this chance to talk to you about uh, your successful business and, and the way you've built it. So, Maria, thank you very much. Thank you so much, Anthony. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us at growmysalonbusiness.com or on Facebook and Instagram at growmysalonbusiness. And if you enjoyed tuning into our podcast, make sure that you subscribe, like, and share it with your friends. Until next time, this is Anthony Whitaker wishing you continued success.